0: It's my new car.
1: boys, Mondo Cool! Dungeon Hunter Alliance is a downloadable title for the PSN.
0: It's kind of an action RPG along the lines of Diablo. There are three character classes to choose from. You have your mage, warrior, and Groves. The game supports up to four-player online co-op, as well as local two-player co-op. I'm not sure if you can have four players locally though. This game, for what it is, took up quite a bit of my time. Uh, There's plenty of trophies to get, and they all look like they're going to be fairly easy except the game requires you to throw lots and lots of hours at it. Completing the game once with my mage character took about 15 hours I would say around around there somewhere between maybe 12 to 15 hours to complete the uh, campaign now most of this was played uh, exclusively co-op with uh, you know friend of the website the devil burning Basically, you're a king, you've been revived by uh, magical fairies to save your kingdom 30 years after your death. There's a black fairy, lots of, uh, you know, fairy tale type settings, plenty of dungeons to go through, and uh, looting and leveling, lots of looting and leveling. Um, I believe you max out your character at level 75 which will take quite a bit of time. Some of the features that I did like about the game were uh, you could set in the options menu when you pick up an item it was color-coded. So everything that's under a certain level you can have it automatically transmute. So when you pick it up and it's under leveled it transmutes and gives you gold instantly so you don't even have to look at it because you know it's a junk item. Which saved a lot of time once I uh, got into the game and really learned its ins and outs and how to play it. Now while I definitely had a very good time playing this game and would definitely put some more time into it, there were a couple of minor nitpicks where it weren't really problems. But there are things that I'd like to see improved upon in sequels. I wasn't really a fan of how all four players must remain on the screen at the same time. There was one boss in particular where a user that was playing with us didn't have a microphone, so we couldn't communicate to him and tell him to run counterclockwise around the boss. The other three people were running in the same direction. He kept running in the opposite direction, causing the camera. To uh, you know, get us stuck, and then you know we would die and have to revive each other, and it's kind of a pain. Now, I used a mage class character, and I would have liked to have seen a magic shop where I could have maybe created custom spells or get staffs enchanted for uh, specific things. A lot of the weapons you just have to play the game and uh, find them. So for the majority of the game I ran through with the same staff that just became massively under leveled. After completing the game there's kind of a game plus mode where you can further customize your character you can assign more skill points and uh, you know as you level up to level 75 you can further customize your character and there's a lot of customization Now, the Devil Burning was, uh, very particular about his level customization and inventory management causing a lot of, uh, (laughs) slow points in the gameplay where he would, you know, we'd spend a half an hour in town with uh, me and Shentai waiting for the Devil Burning to get done customizing his guy. Like, come on, man, dump the junk, assign the good stuff, and let's go. One of the attributes that weapons and armor could enhance for my uh, mage character specifically was the magic regeneration. So as I leveled my character up and equipped specific items and assigned specific skill points, my uh, magic regeneration was, you know, towards 50 or 60 percent. So I could just lay on the magic ice beam, which kind of looked like a Kamehameha wave and uh, that really amused me. Generally when I play this style of game I'm more of a hack and slash barbarian with an axe type of player but with this game I really uh, jumped right in with the mage class and had a lot of fun. Your character looks the same. All three character classes is the same character. Uh, Just what he can equip is different. So all three of us there look exactly the same, it's just we've got different uh, armor and stuff equipped. Now this game I believe is twelve ninety nine on the PSN. When I bought it, I had my PSN Plus account activated and it was just over ten dollars. This game's definitely worth the money for the hours and hours of gameplay that you're going to get out of it. I highly recommend it, but it did have a few little, you know, A few little things I'd like to see improved in a sequel. Now this is a port of an iPod, iPhone, you know, iOS game. And this version is massively updated over the original iOS game. But there's also a Dungeon Hunter Alliance 2 on the iPod. So I would like to see that also make its way to the PSN. And uh, hopefully see a few more improvements. I would really like to see a fourth character class So that when you're playing, you don't have to double up. Some of the AI seemed really uh, difficult. Uh, There's a little bit of level scaling going on. Towards the end game, if you're more than three levels higher than the enemies, you don't gain experience. And the only way you can gain experience is by defeating bosses. That was kind of a pain. I'd like to see that go. That's kind of an odd choice that they made that you wouldn't get any experience for lower level characters. So, the entire last quarter of the game, uh, I wasn't gaining experience. I had to go through beat the single player campaign on my offline save so that I could go into New Game Plus to where I could eventually start leveling up again. So, that was kind of, you know, wonky. Just didn't didn't feel right. I don't know if that was a style choice on purpose, but that's something I'd like to see uh, changed in a sequel there's a couple of glitches there's one glitch when we were fighting a boss it spawned outside of the map if you look on the screen now you see how we're running down that corridor and there's that blue mist well imagine the boss spawning in that blue mist so after that he couldn't teleport anymore so all we had to do is use ranged attacks to kill him and uh... it worked out but overall i highly recommend this game i definitely give it a mondo cool and think, if you enjoy Diablo style games, you can pick this up for a pretty small price and you'll get a lot of hours oh, let me love you so.
1: Gundam 0080 War in the Pocket, as the name entails, takes place during UC0080. To put it in perspective, it essentially takes place about halfway during the original Suit Gundam series. Gundam 0080 War in the Pocket is a six episode OVA series, and was actually the first ever Gundam series to be directed by someone other than Yoshiyuki Tamino, who is the creator of the Gundam series. In contrast to most Gundam related anime, this short OVA series has less emphasis on actual mobile suit combat, and there's also no mention of new types, either. Now before getting into the story, the animation in War in the Pocket is quite good. There's a good amount of detail, the animation is fluid, especially during combat and mobile suit battles, and overall everything is pretty high quality, as you should expect from a series that is so short. OBAs in general tend to have high quality animation because they're short and have high production values. Also, touching on the voice acting, the English dub is also quite good. Characters are portrayed nicely and don't feel out of place. Special mention goes to Bernie, who was voiced by David Hayter, the uh, Solid Snake himself. For the most part, Gun The Man may have been pretty good about their English dubs. There have been a few duds here and there, but this one holds up very well. I also want to mention that the music is quite good as well. Fits the mood. Very nicely for each scene. The basic plot of War in the Pocket is essentially that in the Lieback colony, the Earth Federation is harboring a prototype Gundam, in which the Zeon deploy a group of Zeon soldiers to infiltrate and destroy it. War in the Pocket stars our two main protagonists, Al and Bernie. Al is a young boy of eleven. He's a colony citizen and he's an, has an active fascination with mobile suits. He's young, energetic, and passionate, but he doesn't do well in school, and he's far too reckless for his own good. Bernie's a rookie Zeon soldier. He's boastful and exaggerator, but deep down he's a nice guy who you can trust in the end. Bernie crashes his Zaku during a battle within the colony that Al lives in, which in turn becomes a catalyst for their meeting, when Al, fascinated with mobile suits, particularly Zaku, goes to investigate. The story from then on mostly centers around these two characters. This literally makes or breaks the experience of watching this anime because they basically carry the story. So if you don't like the characters, you won't like this show. Al is a young boy, so honestly, he can be annoying at times. However, this makes sense, and he acts like a normal kid his age should. Bernie, on the other hand, is a soldier in a unit he doesn't want to be in just trying and he's just trying to prove himself the two of them actually have an interesting chemistry together al looks up to bernie as an older brother of sorts and bernie looks at al as a little one and with the way they act together they might as well be which makes the relationship that the two share work very well another interesting dynamic in the story is that it's viewed from the Xeon perspective for a change if you've seen many uh, Universal Century Gundam anime, it takes place in the perspective of an Earth Federation soldier. So it's definitely a nice change of pace to see the story primarily from the opposite side of the battle. Showing again the depth of Gundam. I say that because it goes back to there being no definite good or bad side. This is proven further in War in the Pocket because Bernie, despite being a Xeon soldier, he's a pretty normal guy. He has his own aspirations and his own dreams. Even the other soldiers in, in Bernie's unit, while seeming thuggish at first, are really not bad people. They're just soldiers doing their job. Now one of the main concerns with 0080 War in the Pocket is a severe lack of combat. There are very few action scenes and even less of them concerning mobile suits. Most of the episodes are dedicated to the characters, which makes it a give or take in a way. The battles themselves, however, are very well done. The animation is particularly fluid, which I think makes up for the lack of action for the most part, because when there is, it's very good. Now without giving away the ending itself, I will say that the ending of War in the Pocket is some of the best in Gundam. Very emotional and very worth waiting for. It's an ending you may not see coming in quite the way it was done. Gundam 0080 War in the Pocket isn't for everyone. The lack of action can bore some, however, others will appreciate the different perspective given and the charming connection between the two protagonists. War in the Pocket, while part of the Universal Century timeline, doesn't really have to be seen in order to understand another series in the timeline, nor do you need to see the original Mobile Suit Gundam in order to enjoy it. War in the Pocket stands pretty much on its own. It's its own story within the timeline that can be enjoyed by itself. While admittedly not my personal favorite series in the Universal Century timeline, I enjoyed War in the Pocket, and I was glad I saw it. If you found it interesting, go ahead and give it a shot. It's only six episodes anyway, so it's pretty short. Well, this has been Shintai, everyone. Take it easy.
0: Number three on the top ten console countdown of all time, the Pioneer Laser Active. I wanted to get some strong Sega representation on this uh, particular countdown. And you're probably thinking, Pioneer Laser Active? That doesn't sound like a Sega console. Well, let's take a closer look at this thing. This amazing, beautiful machine here can play Sega Genesis games, Sega CD games. Mega-LD-ROMs, Graphics q cards TurboGrafx-CD games, and LD-ROM-2 games. Now that is a lot of formats, and on top of those video game formats, this thing can play LaserDisc movies, so this was an extremely high-end audio-visual multimedia machine. Now to get all of this compatibility, you needed to buy packs. I personally only own the Sega Pack, which enables you to play Genesis games, Sega CD games, and Mega LD games. Now, I'd come to grips with the fact I would probably never get to play a Mega LD game. But friend of the show, Retro Kaiser, uh, in his infinite generosity, came across two Mega LD games, bought them and shipped them off my way wouldn't even let me cover shipping because he's just that kind of a generous fellow and uh, I've actually been able to sit down and play some Mega LD games which has been really fun if you like rail shooters uh, this particular game Pyramid Patrol will be for you here on the front of the unit you can see where you insert the different packs this is my Sega uh, pack which is where you plug in your six-button Genesis controllers and where you plug in your Sega Genesis games. Now a few people have commented on the fact that when you put the cartridge in the the label is facing down but if you'll notice on the end label you can see uh, the name of the game right side up so there actually was some forethought behind that. Also on the front of the unit is where you insert your Sega CD games, which there are two eject buttons on this unit. One ejects the CD tray, which is a significantly smaller tray, and the other one ejects the LD tray, which is absolutely terrifyingly huge. It's like a tidal wave of plastic when you eject the Laserdisc tray on this behemoth of a video game console. On the back of the unit, you can see where the video output and audio outputs are. Uh, I'm kind of bummed that it doesn't have S-Video for such a high-end unit. Uh, when this thing came out, the LaserActive itself cost about $1,000, and that was without the Sega pack, which would cost you a couple hundred more dollars. I've heard it ranging from three to $500 just for that uh, Sega pack and that's that's pricey and it would have been nice to have had at least S video but composite out still gives you a nice signal uh, there is the option for optical audio output if you have a nice sound system which a lot of the people that were into Laserdisc movies were a bit of video files and probably audio files. they wanted the crispest clearest picture and the best sound that they could get. At the time nothing rivaled Laserdisc movies and it was only the uh, release of the DVD player that uh, made the Laserdisc irrelevant. Laserdisc movies were being made and sold from the early 80's to about 1999 and the reason why you're probably not familiar with Laserdiscs is because of the high cost. Um, A single movie would cost between thirty and fifty dollars versus you know 10 to 15 dollars for a VHS movie so there's really a uh, big gulf in price plus the price of laserdisc players was pretty substantial at the time. this console was definitely one of the strongest multimedia machines and video game consoles that we got. Up until today, with the current generation of consoles like the PlayStation 3, which lets you play Blu-ray movies, DVDs, uh, high-def games, games that you can download representing, you know, different formats. You can download your PlayStation 1 classics and other games from other uh, systems. And likewise with the 360, with their, albeit defunct, HD DVD add-on, uh, high def games, Xbox Live Arcade. So, this is really something that uh, we, we would see a lot more of about 15 years later. Keep in mind that the Laser Active came out in 1993. This is when, uh, you know, Sega Genesis and Sega CD were top of the line video game consoles. And this thing also included. Uh, a laserdisc movie player which is almost DVD quality. It looks really really good on a standard definition TV. It looks almost as good as DVD. You can hardly tell the difference between the two video formats on a standard definition TV. Now this console gets its place in the top 10 list because of the cool factor. It's absolutely completely impractical for just about Anyone, it's amazing that if you have all of the bits and bobbles that go into this thing, that it'll support uh, Genesis, Sega CD, Mega LD ROM, LD ROM Two, Turbo Graphics games, and TurboGrafx CD games, music CDs, and laser discs. That's cool. That's very awesome to have one machine that does all of that. That's very, very wow factor. But there are other high-end systems. That will let you play Sega CD and Genesis games, or Turbo Graphics and uh, Turbo Graphics CD games. Things like the Sega CDX, or the JVC XI or the Turbo Duo. Those are going to be for uh, even mid-range collectors. You know. That's still pretty hardcore. Those are more expensive than just getting you know, a TurboGrafx with a CD add-on or getting a Sega Genesis and a Sega CD. So the Laser Active is definitely not for everyone, and it's only earned its place on this list because of the cool factor. Personally, I use mine to play Sega Genesis games all the time, and uh, I absolutely love it. I, I think they even look a little bit better on the Pioneer Laser Active but that could just be me. Also, due to its high price at the time, this system didn't sell very well. I've heard from a few different sources that only about 10,000 were ever made, and a lot of them were dead on arrival. This machine's about, I don't know, uh, 50% larger than an Xbox. It weighs about 20 pounds. And during transit, a lot of them, you know, would shift in trucks fall over, and uh, become damaged in transit. Also, now that they're, you know, 15, 18 years old, uh, a lot of the capacitors are leaking. You know, just electronics being old and wearing out. So you really have to uh, go over it with a fine-tooth comb when you do get one, and make sure you don't have any leaky capacitors. But other than that, uh, I got lucky and managed to get mine for $80 shipped in the original box. And then someone on YouTube hooked me up with a Sega pack, which uh, did have some problems. He replaced some of the capacitors, but not all of them. But uh, for the most part, it works well. And I absolutely love it and think it's one of the coolest systems because of everything that it can do. I feel secure putting it at number three in the top ten console countdown.
1: This is Delta Platoon Leader. All craft
0: prepare to get underway. This is Twin's command. Affirmative. Good luck. Let's go. Sensors indicate enemy spacecraft ahead of us. Assume combat formation. Roger. 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 Fire. This is Pyramid Patrol, the 1993 on-rail shooter by Taito. This game happened to be a pack-in with the Sega Pack module that allowed you to play Sega. Games and Mega LD games. So, this is one of the more common Pioneer laser active games, although none of them are particularly common. If you're a fan of on rail shooters, this game may be for you. The uh, video looks really nice, it has really nice music. I enjoy the soundtrack to this game quite a bit. The voice acting is by all means 1993 voice acting, so don't expect anything great. Uh, The main character that you hear the most, you know, the pilot that you're playing as is the worst voice actor, I find. Some of the other voices don't sound as hokey, but uh, the guy that you hear the most sounds the hokeyest, so take that as 1993 charm. The game has different difficulty settings, uh, easy, normal, and hard, and I've found that the only real difference is how much damage you take. And this is a game that, for the most part, I play on easy. If you want to get into the game at all, uh, I have kind of a hard time with it, because I'm, I'm not the greatest shooter player. But I do like playing them, so I, I will put those on easy. Generally, I play games on the default difficulty setting, but uh, I was having a little bit of a rough time with this. Now, definitely memorization plays a big part into it. This game being on a laser disc, it can only have up to an hour of video on each side of the disc. This game being uh, a one-sided disc means that no matter what, the game will not take you more than an hour to beat. But don't let that trick you into thinking that there's only an hour worth of gameplay here. Because of the difficulty, you're going to have to go through the game many, many times, memorizing every enemy so that you uh, don't die. Now, I've never managed to actually beat this game because of the difficulty, but that's because of its classic arcade difficulty style, and that, you know, is how they extended gameplay back then, by making it crushingly difficult, and this game's no walk in the park. I'm sure there are some uh, shooter experts out there that could breeze through this like it was nothing, but I personally have not managed to get to the end of this game yet. You have to go through it many many times memorizing it if you hope to see the end of this game. But, the way this game works is full motion video. So you can have fully rendered 3D backgrounds, you can have live action video, and it would all look like DVD quality picture. And this was in 1993. So the picture is absolutely gorgeous. And then laid over that video, you have the 16-bit style graphics. So the crosshair, the enemy sprites, the HUD on the bottom of the screen, those are all 16-bit graphics, so it's a little more limited. But if you look in the video in the background, think about 1993. The only real competitor this thing had in terms of full motion video was really early PC CD-ROM games, TurboGrafx CD and Sega CD. And, you know, look at this. This looks outstanding. Even when the 3DO came out shortly after, its video CD quality graphics, which were better than those other earlier systems, still couldn't hold a candle to the video output of Laserdisc. It's just the nature of the media that the game is on. The sound, again, really good. Uh, Decent sound effects, the shooting sounds like shooting, the explosions sound like explosions. Um, Catchy soundtrack, I happen to like the music in this level quite a bit, personally. Um, All in all, if you are an owner of the Pioneer Laser Active, this is going to be the easiest game for you to track down, and it's also very playable and something that you won't have a hard time getting into. You may have a hard time getting to the end of the game, but if you memorize everything in this level, uh, you're looking at no more than an hour of uh, gameplay. I I personally don't know how long this game runs. You know, I don't know how many levels, because I haven't been there, and there's not too much information about laser-active games. But this is definitely a good game if you like this genre, and not everyone does, but if you're a fan of on-rail shooters, and you happen to have a Pioneer Laser Active with the Sega pack, by all means, pick up a copy of Pyramid Patrol.